Slim margins became even slimmer for Toronto FC. A week after being crowned Kings of the North, they fell even further south of the Eastern Conference playoff line with a draw against lowly San Jose Earthquakes. Meanwhile, the European season got underway in full with La Liga, Serie A and the Bundesliga kicking off. We'll talk a bit about that as well on this week's Footy Talk podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney and today on the show, a regular guest with a new title, from DAZN, it's Oliver Platt. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I guess right off the top, we'll get into some more personal stuff with, with yourself. Uh, moving on to DAZN from the TFC report. Um, you know, a, a pretty cool project. Obviously, this is something that very much excited me, and I think a, a lot of people in the media world, when, when you decided to launch this site, um, basically premium Toronto FC website, you had a subscription base um, where you'd have people uh, pay a monthly fee, something like The Athletic, but but not quite for, um, you know, a higher standard of Toronto FC coverage. And, um, you know, just before we, before we got into this, as you kind of move on to a new chapter, uh, you know, I was just kind of curious looking back. Um, you know some of the things that you you found out while while experimenting with this project, and you know I hope that um, you know while while you did move on and and you're doing something new and that's cool that this isn't the last time someone tries something like this. So um, what did you kind of learn from from this project? Yeah, it's, like I'm kind of sad to be leaving it, obviously, partly just because I've really enjoyed covering TFC, and I'm, I'm hoping to still do a little bit of that here and there. Um, but obviously the full-time coverage comes to an end and that's a little bit of like a disappointment because I, I wanted to continue with this and, and see where it went for the rest of the season but had a really good opportunity to join Design as you said so um, I decided to to take that up but it, it was good it was it was definitely challenging at times like I think one of the things that people don't really see people who are kind of consuming TFC coverage don't really see is that I don't think there's anyone in that press box who just covers TFC as their job. Like they, they always have to, you know, ha- either have a job on the side or they have to do different types of work for their, their publication they're working for. And, and there's no one who's really paid just to focus on TFC. And that includes some of the, you know, the, the highest profile writers, you know. Um, and so it's, it's definitely sometimes a bit of a labor of love. And the whole idea with the TFC report was that, you know, trying to create a model whereby you potentially could cover the team full time as your main focus with no distractions. And, you know, we didn't get to that point and, and there's lots of things I learned about and lots of things I do differently. But, you know, I, I still believe that there is kind of new models emerging there that will, will allow people to hopefully put more of a spotlight on things that can be seen as a bit more niche uh, in the broader landscape of Toronto sports. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I do think that the site definitely augmented coverage of Toronto FC. I know I certainly learned a lot from it and um, other people seem to as well. So 
Uh, I think that you, even though the it's kind of a closing of a chapter, it's it's a good one, and it was a you know, like I said, I did learn a lot, and I think um, it was kind of a success in its own right. But now you are moving on to DAZN, and I, I know a lot of people um, listening to this do know what that is, but some others might not, and uh, certainly they might want to learn that before this year's Champions League. Um, yeah. So yeah, what is what is DAZN, and and why should people be so excited about it? Yeah, so the easiest way to put it is it's Netflix for live sports. Um, And it's launched in a few countries now. The biggest ones have been Germany and Japan. uh, And it's in Canada now. It's in the US and Italy, just launched recently as well. Um, And it's basically an attempt to, you know, look into the future as far as as sports broadcasting goes. So it's all online. You can get it on multiple platforms, you know, your phone, tablets, uh, smart TVs, Apple TV and all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, it's, it's live sports streamed. And the exciting thing about it in Canada for me is that, you know, we have the NFL Sunday ticket package, which is a big mm-hmm. thing. But apart from that, the main focus for us is is on soccer. And we've got this season, we'll have the Champions League and Europa League will only be on the zone. You won't see it anywhere else. Um, we've got Serie A as well. Uh, and we're going to have a partnership with Being Sports again, which means we'll get their uh, La Liga and Ligue 1 coverage too. So you know, between Spain, Italy, France and the Champions League and, and also MLS Live as well uh, and a few other leagues. It's it's a really great package of, of soccer, I think. So uh, I'm really excited to, to see um, how it goes this season. Yeah, I was watching a Red Star Belgrade Champions League qualifier the other day and realized <laughs> yeah. if it wasn't for a platform like this, I probably wouldn't have gone out of my way. I was watching it because Canadian men's national team goalkeeper Milan Borian, of course, oh, plays yeah, of for, course. for Belgrade, and it was just kind of on. But yeah, it's cool stuff like that, and certainly I'm um, going to be watching a lot more soccer and maybe some different soccer than, than what I'm used to this season as a result of DAZN. Um, but now that the pandering's out of the way, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, we're gonna we're gonna jump into some Toronto FC talk. Um, you know, uh, kind of a it, it was seemed like a good stretch for Toronto FC for for a while there, but it seems like stuff's kind of coming back down to earth. And um, I, I think I've accidentally labeled this result in San Jose as a loss several times across uh, different <laughs> social media platforms, which has gotten me into a bit of trouble, but um, it kind of did feel like a loss to draw against San Jose because of you know, um, if you look at the at the numbers, at least how little it does for their season, they basically don't really gain any ground as a result of it on the playoff race, and um, you know, you really do need three points at this, at this stage if you're going to move up the table. One point doesn't do much. Yeah, it's looking pretty bleak, and like in in some ways, I think the game went as as they would have hoped. Like they they kind of rode out the first fifty minutes or an hour, um, got their subs on Javinko, obviously Vanderweel, uh, got themselves in front, and then they were obviously hoping to see the game out. And the only real thing that went wrong there was was Chris Wondolowski coming on and and producing a great cameo off the bench to get the earthquakes mm-hmm. a point. Who else? <laughs> exactly, um, but. You know, if you look obviously a bit deeper into how the game went, you can't really say that TFC deserved more than a point. You know, San Jose in the first half and and at the end of the game as well with a better team. Um, so it's it's tough to really have many complaints. I think about a one-one tie. Um, you know, on a, against a team with a bit more quality, it probably could have been worse based on the way that first half went. Yeah, certainly. And you mentioned the the substitutions and the big players coming off the bench and. 
I think certainly for me there was a lot of surprise when I looked at the roster and I obviously I knew right away that Altidore and and Mavinga wouldn't be starting because of suspension so the the TFC roster was going to look a little bit shorthanded but there was also no Javinko Vasquez Vanderweel or Drew Moore in the starting lineup which was very surprising for me as well um you know it just seemed like a callback to one of those very injured Toronto FC sides which is what kind of we were hoping not to see down the stretch if they were going to make a playoff push so why do you think Greg Vanny started that lineup and do you think he made a mistake um with that 11 considering maybe he underestimated San Jose a little bit um I I think it was probably a health thing again like uh Moore obviously is coming back and hasn't got through 90 minutes yet, so I think the idea would be to build him up ahead of uh, this weekend's game and then trying. I imagine he'll start. Um, Javinko has something in his hamstring, I think it is, or it might be groin, it's a muscle anyway, um, that he was kind of battling and so managing his minutes a little bit and trying to make sure they don't injure him. Vasquez, I would have to assume he didn't travel because of health reasons with the way his season has gone. Um, so that only really kind of leaves Vanderweel of the guy, and again, he's someone who has struggled with injury problems. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any right now that I know about. But um, I, again, I think it's a fitness thing. I think you know Greg Vanny was trying to get through this game, trying to skate, scrape a win, um, not overburden his players physically, and then hopefully be able to look at the the final stretch of the season now, where I think they only have one midweek game left, and they can pretty much go, you know full pelt with with the suspended players back as well and it's tough to say like obviously it's a it seems a bit of a head scratcher on the outside when you are in such a uh, a difficult position right now and Jovinko doesn't start but it's it's just so tough to say as to whether he could have started or whether it would have been sensible for him to start with with all the, the fitness issues going on right now yeah, and you can't really blame Greg Vanny for being concerned about the team's fitness considering the way things have gone this season. Yeah. Uh, I know I saw in training um, Sebastian Javinko uh, after they had kind of a 10-hour delay in the San Jose airport um, as a result of, of you know plane failure. He said even the plane got hurt, so <laughs> the players are very aware of how injuries have affected their season to, to date. Um, and, you know, if you want to talk about injuries, they've certainly affected the Toronto FC back line as well. But it was it was a huge issue against San Jose once again. If you, if you want to look at the expected goals, they allowed 2.28 against a team that's on 17 points this season in the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, so, you know, like you said, saying they deserved a result in this one certainly isn't the case considering they only got 1.4 themselves and I think only had one uh, direct shot on target during this game but at the back especially in that first half they looked incredibly shaky um, and it continues to kind of be a theme as you know we've seen the offense pick it up a little bit ever since Josie Altidore returned and they've been able to to score some big goals but um, in all all year they haven't been like a terrible offense but the defense is just continues to have issues. Yeah, it's, it, I look at that back line and I just think like three of those four players are backups. Like they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're solid backups. There's nothing wrong with having them in your squad, but Hernandez, Hagland, and, and Morgan probably aren't going to be starters for you um, when everyone's. Well, they're certainly not going to be starters when everyone's healthy for a top team in the league. And you know, to win consistently away from home, even against the worst teams in the league, you need to be a top team, and you just can't get results with that kind of back line. You know, with Justin Mario out of position as well um, on a consistent basis. But, you know, the the big issue for me right now is that Alex Bono is 
just not in form. Um, you know, there are, th- and it's difficult to, to criticize him too much because he was really good in the first half and kind of get, kept the game level. But there's just been too many costly errors from him lately, and it's kind of undoing any good work he does do, um, which we know he can do. He's a is a very talented goalkeeper, but that there just seems to be lapses in concentration right now with him. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of on that too recently, especially kind of ever since that that New York Red Bulls game on on July first when yeah that you know Toronto had so many chances in that game and um, they lost one nil on a on an Alex Bono error and obviously it wasn't his fault because or it wasn't fully his fault because his team didn't score at the other end but. Um, if you look at his numbers, his goals uh, minus expected goals against uh, are not great. In fact, they're they're some of the worst in the league. Um, so you know it's it's pretty clear that he hasn't been nearly as good as he was last season. The issue for Toronto FC, of course, is uh, if you look at those numbers as well, and you don't want to you know use one catch-all stat for goalkeepers, but if you look at the numbers, Clint Irwin's actually been a little bit worse. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't doesn't seem like a great situation for them there right now. No, and like I, th- I th- again, I think Owen is fine as a backup as as many of these players are. But I like I, I think he may not make as many errors, but I also don't think he'll make you as many saves. And, and maybe mm. the ones he lets in are just a little bit less glaring, you know. So, but he's still allowing goals. Um, so yeah, it's it's a tough situation. I don't necessarily think I drop Alex Bono. I think you need he's become. You know he's still young, but he's risen to the point where he is one of the core players that you need to be performing if if you're gonna have the season you want to have. And I, you know, I think he'll be as disappointed as anyone that you know through this summer stretch. There's been probably three or four errors now that you can you can recall pretty easily. Yeah, and it's probably it's probably a bit of you know having a back line that's not fully secure in their goalkeeper right now and a goalkeeper who can't be fully secure in his back line. I mean, you know, those those little plays where you feel like you have to overcompensate probably, you know, don't feel great for, for the team right now. So I'd imagine we might continue to see some cracks in, in the future. But um, one positive from this game was Luke, the play of Lucas Hansen, um, who's their new signing. Um, you know, he's he's talked to the media for the first time this week said he he wants to stay here with the club and he's trying to prove himself um with the team and it looked like that in his first game um you know it wasn't perfect but you wouldn't expect that from a debut and what kind of stood out for me was how well he was able to combine with other players after a very short amount of time i mean i I think he basically only trained with them once or twice um he's only been here for about a week so you know, it was, it was pretty impressive to see how, especially with guys like Delgado and Osorio, the more technical midfielders with Toronto FC, he was able to combine very well and uh, obviously scored a goal on his debut. Yeah, he looked decent, you know, considering the circumstances. Like you mentioned, he hasn't trained much. Uh, he didn't have his best teammates out there in terms of, you know, playing with Jovinko and Altidore. Um, so he looked decent. I, I thought he looked quick and looked like he could take the ball on the half turn and kind of spin and, and get the game moving um, you know it's kind of interesting that to me he's looks like the kind of player they were talking about in preseason is what they wanted you know someone who can play out wide or, or across the front line and inject some speed into the team and some invention and it, you know it just brings me I don't I think I bring him up on every podcast I come on with you but it just brings me back to wondering how they really settled on Agro Keche. yeah he's like he's 
you know, he's a creative midfielder, but he's completely different to Janssen. And and it seems like Janssen is, is or sorry, Hansen, I read his the pronunciation is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to uh, take me a while to have yeah, it written out here. <laughs> um, but he just seems like much more like the kind of thing that's going to be useful for TFC uh, in terms of giving them some, some more depth up front um, and some more ability to kind of stretch teams and, and create chances against, you know, deep defenses. Yeah, his is a bit of an interesting situation to watch, I think, because um, you almost wonder where he's fully going to fit into this team down the stretch. He obviously got a game here, but there's no way he's starting up front over either Javinko or Altidore. Um, and it doesn't. there's not really fully a place for him in the Toronto FC lineup. I guess if they play their their current formation, if they play, play like a midfield diamond and have him at the top of the diamond, but, um, you know, if Vasquez is healthy, that's his spot. So yeah. uh, he'll probably be a first man off the bench kind of, kind of deal but um you know they do have a buy a buy-in in terms of his loan and it's 3.7 million which is not cheap at all at least that's according <laughs> to his according to his argentine club uh tigre they released that on twitter we would never have found out otherwise um but yeah if, if that is true that's not cheap and you know they don't have a long look at him before the end of the season um so it's going to be interesting to see what they what they can do with him yeah, well, that brings us to um, another player and kind of the transfer news this week, I think, probably, which is Josie Altidore. And mm-hmm. like, if, if they want to sign Hansen permanently and that is the fee, then unless they're going to spread that fee over years and years, he's a designated player. So um, that's a little bit of an interesting situation. And as you say, that wouldn't have got out uh, unless the Argentine club had told us. Yeah, what, like, but even if they potentially, like, you know, Agra Keche gets bought by Cities, then, you know, do they still not have enough space? Why, well, if if the fee is 3.7 million, then it's yeah. very difficult for him not to be a, a DP, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they need a DP slot, um, which obviously they don't have. If they like, It depends how much he's earning. If, if they could spread the fee across three or four years, which would be pretty unusual... Mm-hmm. Then it's possible he could be a town player, but I, I would think he, you know, would most likely be a DP. Yeah, so making that kind of decision and you know, and only getting uh, about a ten-game look at a player should be a. Uh, should be somewhat interesting yeah. for Toronto FC. Not not the easiest of decisions, and uh, doesn't seem incredibly ideal. But we'll we'll see. He as we said, we, he had a good start. So um, you know, I, th- I would so think as well. I would think as well that they probably been looking at him for a while yeah um, they, they tend mm-hmm. to scout the players for quite some time and obviously they came back to Vasquez like a couple of years after they'd first looked at him and Jansen was uh, Hansen sorry was was a young player who really kind of burst onto the scene I think and was pretty promising as a teenager and then kind of drifted off so I think they probably would have been tracking him uh, through that period of time yeah that's a good point they as you said they definitely have you know, none of these moves are they just go on, I don't know, like football manager and, and find a guy. They, they, <laughs> they, they know what they're doing with all this, and they've they've been tracking all these guys for a long time. So, um, I, you know, I, I've actually heard that they were looking him into him in the past, and he was just a little too expensive. So, yeah. um, you know, now after the San Jose game, Toronto FC um, 
basically Greg Vanny said this week that they he thinks they need seven wins in their last ten, and that's kind of where I'm at too, although uh, it might be closer to eight depending upon things. Um, they're, they're about nine points out right now of that final spot, which is held by Montreal. Um, they do have two games in hand uh, on Montreal, but I think DC might be the, the biggest complicator in all of this because all of a sudden uh, they fully look like a team, um, you know, primed to, to maybe win this race. Yeah, for a long time, 45 points looked like it might be enough, which is a very low bar, um, and seven wins would get them to 45, but... I think the way DC are going now, you know, Philly have kind of pulled into fifth and they're on a good, good little run. DC are playing really well and they have a stacked home schedule um, between now and the end of the season. So I think mm-hmm. I, I think they're probably going to need to win eight. Um, and then you look at the fact that they've got to go on the road to Portland and the Red Bulls and, you know, basically the other eight, they have to be perfect unless they can pull off a surprise in one of those two games. I didn't think the Wayne Rooney bump would ever be anything that we'd be <laughs> talking about in terms of something that could potentially end Toronto FC's season, but it's been a weird season, so that just fits right into things. Um, you know, another big player that, that could potentially be on the transfer, as you mentioned earlier, Josie Altador. Um, now, Greg Vanny said this week in training that he hasn't heard anything about Altador being, you know, of interest to other clubs, so. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. ESPN is has been reporting that Serie A and Liga clubs are looking at him, and it, you know it would make sense considering what he's been able to do with Toronto FC and in the continental competitions as well. Um, where are you at with this? Because it seems like every year we've got at least two or three of these. Um, but as you said, now they've got Hansen in there. Um, you know, there's and and with the way this season's gone, there might be some potential. For a, sh- a bit of a shakeup, but that, that seems like a pretty big one. Yeah, um, it's a tricky one. Like I've been trying to figure out where this rumor came from. In terms of sometimes the agent will put it out there, sometimes the club will feed things out there. Sometimes you know it's the interested clubs that are trying to create a bit of a stir. Um, and I don't know on this one, so it's, it's a bit of a weird rumor. Um, and then there was Altidore's very cryptic tweet, which he quickly deleted as well. So it's been a bit of a strange situation, but. Like, I always thought that the one that if they wanted to make a change, they'd move was Jovinko because I mm-hmm. think Bradley is part of the fabric of the club now and extremely uh, athletic, so he can go on for a few years. Altador's the youngest one, so he's kind of still in his prime years right now. But I think, you know, they're, they're obviously putting so much emphasis on the Champions League, and, and you look at the way Jovinko played in the Champions League this year, and he was outstanding. And, and he's had a pretty good year, I think, in general. Um, Alatador on the other hand he was carrying an injury but I think he tends to maybe come into seasons a bit slower and takes a bit more time to get up to speed sometimes and so if they were going to make a change with a view to helping themselves in the Champions League and they were going to make a DP change it would probably be Alatador that would be the one that would be most likely to go but you know that's just me speculating I I still would be very very surprised to see them um move Josie Alstor and I think Greg Vanny's comments kind of reflected that but yeah it'll be interesting to see for a number of reasons how much change we kind of see in the off season um, given they're probably not going to make this playoffs and they have a little bit of a window to potentially do some business and and make sure this team doesn't start growing old together and, and getting a little bit past its prime well especially since you know Alstor seems like such an irreplaceable 
piece and we've certainly seen that this season um in terms of the you know they've always tried to do it on a budget version but they've tried guys like ben spencer jordan hamilton um you know they've tried to have guys play his kind of role and nobody's ever been able to do it even close to what josie altador has been able to do and they haven't been able to find a formation or or a system without him that's really been all that successful because you know quite frankly they can't give seba enough space in that system um so it you know in that regard it seems like this would be a bit of a step backwards if they got rid of him although obviously if they did have more money to play with um then maybe they could try something different but uh you know we know what Josie Alcidor can do with this league versus the potential of bringing someone else in yeah it would be a big risk for sure and as you say there's a lot of chemistry things there that you'd be going into the Champions League essentially blind to how a new player would fit with Jovinko and Vasquez and so on. You, you know you know you've got you know it's money in the bank with with Jovinko and Altidore together when they're healthy. So it it would be a huge risk to take, but you know again there is this argument that they need to make sure this team you know doesn't get too old and and too kind of past its prime um if they're going to continue to to compete for MLS cups. Well, this weekend, uh, Toronto FC does have a massive game against the Montreal Impact. Um, I, you know, I I think we can actually say that this is pretty much must-win territory at this point of the season. I know we've been throwing around that uh, that term a lot this season because they have played in so many games that seem huge, but. If they don't win this one, then you know it might as well be over. It's at home. It's against a team that is in the final playoff spot right now. It's against their rival. If they can't get a win in this game, then you know obviously they could still you know win eight of nine or whatever to finish the season. But this seems like the exact game that you need to win if you're going to make that late playoff push. Yeah, for sure, it's the non-negotiable one, really. And you know, if if they don't, then to me you have to start thinking about next year and potentially maybe you blood a few kids or something but I, I think if this one isn't a win then you, yeah it, it's done for sure and you know you've got to be you've got to be realistic about it like obviously they're going to continue trying to chase this for now and they believe they can pull off a winning run of the kind that's needed but if there's one or two more bad results in the next couple of weeks then you've got to start planning for next year you know use the time you have yeah, so do you think that would be, like you said, just playing younger players and, and getting, giving Hanson maybe some more reps to, to see yeah. what you have there? I, I think see what you have with a few players who could factor in next season. Um, you know, uh, you've got to make a decision on... We I, I know we say this every year, but a guy like Jordan Hamilton, you know, has got to take the next step at some point or you've got to start thinking about, you know, other options. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's just wrap up this this Toronto FC segment with um, kind of a look at, at the Canadian teams in general and and um, whether or not maybe we'll see any Canadian teams in the playoffs this year. Now, Montreal are in a playoff spot right now, as we mentioned, um, playing Toronto FC this weekend. Um, they have a four-point cushion right now on New England, and they sit uh, sixth in the conference at the moment. Um, obviously, as we said, DC is the big complication there. Um, and Vancouver, meanwhile, they are three points out, um, but teams have games in hand on them. So not looking fantastic there. And then, of course, Toronto FC um, are not in great shape at all. 
Oli, do you think we'll have any Canadian teams in the playoffs, or, or might this be a tough year for, for Canadian soccer fans, certainly for TSN, as they try to put on a MLS playoff product? Uh, yeah, I think we might get shot out, honestly. Like, I don't see the Whitecaps getting in, because the six teams that are in right now are all pretty decent. You know, they mm-hmm. all have their own strengths, and then I think the Sounders will, will knock one of those teams off. Uh, I can't see them missing out on the run they're on. So I don't see the Whitecaps getting into that picture, and then you know, in the east, Philly have got a couple of games on Montreal. DC are racing up there with a far easier schedule the rest of the way. Um, and I think they're nearly caught up to Montreal already in terms of points per game. Um, so, yeah, it's looking bleak. Well, looking bleak. We'll leave it. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave it at that, um, which I think is actually a pretty fair place to leave the the Toronto FC segment this week um, and we'll look to Europe a little bit um, obviously on the podcast we've we've previewed the English Premier League a little bit and, and talked a bit about Serie A but we're going to briefly touch on the two other leagues we haven't really looked at and a bit of a disclaimer off the top their transfer windows haven't fully closed yet so um, who knows there could still be some some drama in that regard and these teams could look a little bit different than the teams we're kind of looking at right now but their seasons have started so it's a it's a fair time to preview them um looking at the at the spanish league it's definitely going to be an interesting season i think um i i would still consider barcelona to be the 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 heavy favorites um in the league you know they only lost once last season uh four three against Leganes on, on the second last hurdle to their kind of undefeated season attempt and they haven't added anything huge but they've kind of solidified the roster um with guys like arthur and malcolm uh, the young brazilians and and arturo vidal from from bayern munich um so i think europe might be the the big thing for them as well uh, what do you make of of Barca? Because they weren't overtly impressive last season, even even with their incredibly dominant um, run domestically. But you know they, they were able to obviously get some results as well. Yeah, it's it's still like something just doesn't quite feel right about Barcelona. Still, um, like as you said, it was it was a weird thing last season because they had such a dominant league season, but they never really felt like they were you know a. a a Barca team to really match up with you know you look at the Guardiola team obviously but also the the Luis Enrique team with Neymar and Suarez and Messi up front mm-hmm. you know they never quite got to that level and I, I still I, I don't know I think I think the one big potential X factor for them that kind of lifts them back up to a you know to a an elite elite level they're obviously an elite team but the very top you know being the best team in the world essentially is if Philippe Coutinho can have you know a a season in which he goes from you know uh, one of the best players in the world to the conversation as you know the very best players in the world along with mm. you know Messi and Neymar and players like that um, and I think he has that in him I think you know the way he's played for Brazil of late and, and the form he was in late in his time at Liverpool was really trending in that direction so he could be the one big uh, factor for them you know what you're going to get from Messi um, hopefully Dembele gives them obviously more than he did last season due to injury and they've made some signings that uh, again they don't blow me away but I think Vidal's going to add some steel in midfield um, Langlet is a good defender uh, I like the look of Arthur I, I don't know if he's going to be a big factor this season but he looks like a classy player and and Malcolm gives them some extra attacking energy and, and chance creation so um, 
it, it could come together for them, but I'm still just not quite sold that they're going to be, you know, the the champ, the big Champions League favorite. Yeah. Yeah, and you kind of have to hope as well that Luis Suarez doesn't yes, doesn't kind of yeah. go in the direction that he was at, at the start of last season, where he just absolutely forgot how to score for about the first 15 games, and obviously that that fixed. But as as he gets older, you kind of wonder. Uh, you know, if that will start to happen more permanently, and it it can't this season because they just don't have another player like that up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he. Uh, I think it's been difficult for him because of the way that you know Dembele has come in, and they once get messy through the middle of the pitch, and so that pushes Suarez out wide a little bit, and it's mm-hmm. just not really been an ideal situation for him. But um, you know, yeah, I get, it. and he's another one who has to be, you know, top class for them. And he had a great World Cup, so it's still there. I think they just maybe need to cater to him a little bit more. Fair enough. Um, and and speaking of interesting seasons, you know, Barca's main rival, Real, they're kind of entering a new era, um, losing one of the, the two titans of, of La Liga, if you want to call him that, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's left for Juve. Um, they've been linked to basically like every other young star on the planet during this transfer window. He, you've been hearing Mbappe rumors, there's been all the Neymar rumors, and then the Eden Hazard rumors. Well, they've only really ended up with, with the one guy from, from Chelsea, and that's Thibaut Courtois. Um, you know, which I, I always I always feel um, like Kaylor Navas gets a bit of a rough, <laughs> rough run yeah. of things. I feel like he's a much better keeper. I haven't really looked into the numbers, but just from what I've seen from him he, he seems like a much better keeper than he always gets credit for but anyway they brought in Courtois um who's you know obviously had a fantastic world cup for Belgium um but you know could this be the year maybe where where things start to fall off a little bit I mean they had a pretty poor domestic season and it was only really saved by the fact that they got pretty lucky in some Champions League games um, specifically against Bayern but uh, even maybe a bit against Juve as well so um, you know could this be the time where where the, the, what's been the most dominant team in the world the past couple seasons kind of kind of falls off a little bit yeah well in terms of the league like I think it was 17 points behind Barcelona last mm-hmm. season like you lose Ronaldo um, and you get, and I agree, it's a marginal upgrade in, in goal between Courtois and Navas. You're not going to make that gap up with with that kind of transfer business. Um, so, you know, the question is, is that kind of invincibility that they have in the Champions League going to still be there now Ronaldo's gone? And, you know, I'd have my doubts about that as well. So it's, I wouldn't like to be Julian Lopetegui. It's, uh, it's not a great... <laughs> It's not the easiest job to go into at all. Um, I think there's a lot of young talent there that they've, you know, they brought in some young players this summer. They've got some young players like Asensio and so on already in in the squad. Um, so I think there's a good future there, and uh, and obviously there will eventually be, you know, another maybe maybe an Eden Hazard or someone like that. But I, I just think the way that um, PSG have gone after Neymar and Mbappe has just really jammed up the market because now that's the going rate for mm. any you know very promising young player is 100 million plus and you know Madrid or Barcelona paid it for Dembele last summer and, and for Coutinho as well um, I don't think they're going to pay those fees forever you know I, I just think unless they feel like they're getting a really really world class player I, I think some of that last year was a bit of desperation that those fees got paid and 
I think you know Madrid. Even with Madrid's wealth, they're starting to bulk at some of the the prices they're getting quoted now, and they're gonna maybe just sit back a little bit in a bid to kind of bring those prices back down um, to reality a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think that that makes sense, especially with financial fair play as it is, and you know, it's, it's it hasn't been the biggest. Uh, you know, it's certainly not a tradi- traditional salary cap as we've seen, but. Um, it does make teams kind of have to think a little bit more about how they spend their money and you know if players are coming in they kind of have to have to see about sending players out as well so um, yeah as you said the market's kind of kind of wonky right now Um, on the other side of Madrid there's you know it's been a pretty big summer for Atleti honestly as a club because usually when they win a big trophy like this when they win the Europa League or or when they win any kind of European competition it signaled a max exodus for the club a little bit they've lost a lot of their key players um, who have moved on to bigger clubs kind of been put in the shop window that seemed like it was going to happen this summer I mean a bunch of their players are rumored to be on the outs Um, specifically Antoine Griezmann who had a you know, a very televised decision uh, day. Who um, he, he it's didn't. Lucky that the World Cup happened. Yeah, yeah. Forgot about no kidding. Yeah, he didn't even go to South Beach, which would have been a little weird since there <laughs> isn't even a Miami team yet. But um, <laughs> yeah, he ended up staying. Which um, yeah, just a whole really bizarre s- s- scenario there. But obviously, it works out great for Atletico, keeping their best player. Um, and on top of that, they've been able to make some decent ads. Uh, Kalinic, uh, Gelson Martins, um, and probably most importantly, Thomas Lamar um, from Monaco, who, who um, you know, they lost pretty much everyone this summer. I uh, feel bad for them. But, um, yeah, this, this is a club that kind of used to be a seller club um, that's now been able to, to keep a good core together. And we saw it in the, in the UEFA Super Cup. Uh, against Real, where where they had a pretty dominant performance, and you don't read too much into into stuff like that because obviously, um, you know, in, in the Spanish Cup before the season last year, Real absolutely dummied Barcelona, and then uh, weren't even close to that all season. But um, you know, it just it, it, th- things look good for Atletico, and they might be now for me at least the the number two in Spain, which seems like a huge surprise. Yeah, I, I think they are for sure, and like I. For me right now, they're they're my Champions League favorite. Um, mm. I th- I think their squad just looks so, from top to bottom, it's it's so balanced. Um, you know the defense is has always been really good under Diego Simeone, but now they've got real quality up front. Um, you know Diego Costa's still only twenty nine. He's still a player. He's in his prime, and he was tremendous in the Super Cup. Griezmann's staying and is you know in in the best years of his career. Kalinic is a really solid backup. Uh, Thomas Lamar, as you said, is one of the best young players in Europe for my money so I, I think their squad is only like 21 players or something like that but it's it's just so streamlined and it's so efficient and you know there's not one player in the squad who you think well he's a little bit of dead wood or you know he's a bit of a spare part every player is like is, is something to them um, and, and will play a part and yeah I, I really like their team I think they're going to have a great season I, I don't know if they're going to be able to make up um can't remember how many points it was, but it was more than ten uh, between them and Barcelona. I don't know if they'll make that up over a full league season, but certainly in knockout football, I think they could be a real threat this year. Yeah, it's interesting. They they kind of remind you, and obviously Griezmann famously made this comparison of that of that France World Cup team, um, which is why maybe they'll be so good in in tournaments. They play yeah. such a 
you know, they play that solid defensive style. They have a lot of those similar players like Koke who can control midfields and, and obviously Griezmann up front and a super solid back line. Um, and, you know, bringing in Lamar as well. They, they just kind of have that style about them that, that seems to do very well in modern tournament football. They do, yeah, and a great coach as well who they've done amazingly well to hold on to for as long as they have. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like their chances a lot. I'd love to see them, you know, kind of... It's still a little bit of an upset, even though they've been around at the top level for, for a few years now um, since Simeone took over. Uh, it still feels like the big boys are getting upset a bit, so I, I'd love to see them do well this season. I think they've done some great transfer business. Before we finish our our La Liga segment, obviously an announcement uh, this week that there's going to be game or potentially a game played in March this year um, in the United States, um, and, and that'll be something that will happen throughout the throughout the next 15 years um, of, of a La Liga, you know, regular season game being played uh, over here in Canada and the United States and. Um, well, not everyone's happy with this. Apparently, there's a there's a meeting of the captains, um, which sounds like some crazy meeting of the family style thing, <laughs> like Game of Thrones. But they're going to determine, you know, you know, they don't feel very happy that they weren't consulted about this. But um, definitely an interesting move. You know, we're seeing more transatlantic sports as as things continue, and obviously, I think that this is is a way for La Liga to make a ton of money if if they do this properly. Yeah. Um... I'm always a little bit skeptical with these things. Like, uh, it depends what match they send over, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I was obviously a competitive game is a different thing entirely. But I was watching some of the friendlies. Well, I wasn't watching them because I never watched these. Actually, watch these games. But I was, <laughs> you know, following some of the friendlies this summer and seeing the photos of the stadiums on social media and so on. And I just think people are tired of this. Like, not just on the European side, but I think. North American fans are getting a little bit fed up with this. Like, just, you know, half of the first team showing up and the rest is youth players and the games are at half pace and, you know, the coaches are constantly complaining that they'd rather be in a training camp somewhere closer to home. And I I just think this whole kind of summer tour thing is rapidly approaching its sell-by date, which is why stuff like this La Liga proposal is happening. Um Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of of any of this kind of stuff. Well, if you ask Jose Mourinho, you should spend your money on it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it'll definitely be interesting, and like you said, to see what what happens when these games actually matter. Um, but yeah, yeah you, it, it has to be one of even Atletico might not be a big enough draw, depending upon um, where you put it, and obviously it would have to be a grass stadium, I think, for sure. I don't think yeah. you're selling a, selling a artificial turf to um, any La Liga team that has to travel midway through the season, especially if they're one of the big two. So just be interesting to see how that plays out um, and something to keep an eye on as a Canadian-American soccer fan. Um, let's quickly wrap up the Bundesliga. We have this as our shortest preview. Um, I did kind of a joke preview last week on the show where I just said Bayern is going to win, and that was my entire preview. <laughs> um, and This one's probably not going to be too different but um you know they are going for their seventh straight title and and probably not the biggest of summers for them um they, they only added Goretzka which was kind of a deal we've known's gonna be around for a while oh and that uh, Canadian kid that nobody's heard of <laughs> um so you know not the biggest number of additions for them and then obviously we mentioned Vidal's going to Barca um but you know 
for, for me, they still seem like a top top team in Europe. They're definitely going to push deep. They're semifinalists this year, so um, you know they're still they're still very much in that conversation for me. Yeah, like on the one hand, they're constantly in the semifinals, and you know they ran into Ronaldo and Madrid last year, and so you think now Ronaldo is out of Madrid, maybe there's a a real opportunity for them. Um, on the other hand, I I just don't know this year. Like, I think Nico Kovac is gonna is gonna have to prove himself a little bit. You know, this is his first job as a coach uh, at this kind of level, um, and it's it's a different thing. You know, coaching a team like like Frankfurt to be defensively solid and, and a good counter-attacking team, you know, coaching a dominant team like Bayern and having to break down defences every week is a completely different thing. Um, and, the you know, the core there is getting a, getting on a little bit. Uh, you know, this team has really been built around Ribery and Robin and, and what they do on the wings, and mm. they're not the youngest anymore. So I think it'll be an interesting year for Bayern. Um you know, on the one hand, you could have a really experienced, really well-rounded team that, again, if no one's really outstanding in Europe this season, you could see them kind of surviving, much like France did in the World Cup and going all the way. Um, on the other, you maybe start to wonder, on the other hand, you maybe start to wonder if this team is just, again, a bit like certain parts of Madrid's team, just starting to age a little bit. Hmm. Um, and... You know, is there really anyone you can see pushing them? Who else are are you kind of watching? Because overall, there just wasn't very much money spent in the Bundesliga this year. I think they uh, something like just over four four hundred million euros, which compared to you know the Premier League and and uh, La Liga is is peanuts. Um, even Serie A this year with the with the Ronaldo transfer, there was a whole bunch of money being spent there. So. Um, yeah, just it just doesn't seem like anyone's really putting the gears to them. I know, um, basically, I, I've heard teams there say, you know, the only way we're going to have the, the Bundesliga is going to be competitive in in the near future is if we have something like the play, uh, like a playoffs. So, um, mm-hmm. interesting times there for sure. Because at, at least in Italy, uh, where we've seen Juve dominate for a while, it seems like there's a bit of a race. Yeah, um, I yeah, it's tough to see anyone making up that huge gap. Um, with buying this season like I hope Dortmund are going to have a better year I, mm-hmm. I think Lucien Favre is a really good coach and they've kind of added a, a bit more steel in midfield with uh, Axel Witzel and, and Thomas Delaney um, I think they've just become a little bit too soft through the middle of the pitch at times in, in the past couple of years um, so that should help them still lacking you know top attacking players I think when you look at the fact that they've lost Dembele and Aubameyang and Royce can't stay on the pitch, and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of pressure on Christian Pulisic's shoulders. Um, <laughs> Never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, so I, I think they'll be better, and and hopefully, you know, a bit more exciting. But can't see them making up that gap. Uh, you know, apart from that, there's a few good teams there. Leverkusen, I think, have a really exciting um, attacking three behind the striker of of Brandt, Bailey, and and Kai Havertz, and. You know that's a really young, talented group, but as an overall team, you know they're not going to challenge Bayern. I don't think too closely. So yeah, um, you know the the thing is, is that it's not just about other teams improving; it's about Bayern falling away, and you know mm-hmm. all of that happening in one season. And yeah, it's tough to see again this year. 
So there's the longer version of my Byron's going to win preview from last <laughs> week. Um, so I, th- I think we'll end the show there. Um, thanks once again, Ollie, for, for joining us. My pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next week.